Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Welcome back to the BAC podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Pastor Ryan. How are you doing this week, Pastor Ryan? It's been a pretty good week. That's good. Well, today we are going to be talking about the book of 1 Corinthians. So we're working our way through the, the D group reading plan, and this week we're reading 2 Thessalonians 2 through 1 Corinthians 3. But last week we kind of wrapped up talking about both 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go back and, and do that when you get a chance. So for this week, I think we'll we'll just give kind of an intro on the book of First Corinthians. But to start, I think, Pastor Ryan, it would be helpful if we could kind of give a little bit of a recap. Last week, we were talking about Paul's uh, second missionary right. journey. So I think it would be helpful if we could kind of recap that mm-hmm. a little bit. So did you want to kind of start us off and just recap his journey? A little bit. Sure. Well, obviously we're missing some points here, but he goes, remember in the first one, he's mostly in Galatia, which is right. Asia Minor area. Right. Then I know we talked about the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15. Mm-hmm. But um, remember on the second missionary journey, he's struggling because he's in Asia Minor, he's at Troas, and he's wondering where to go. Right. And it seems like he wants to keep going towards <laughs> Asia, and yet God changes it. And he yep. goes in from Troas into Europe. Mm-hmm. From Europe, we know he goes into Philippi. From Philippi, now we're talking the major areas, mm-hmm. Thessalonica. Yep. From Thessalonica. Now, do you say Thessalonica or do you say it differently? Thessalonica. That's how I say it. That's that how do, we that say doesn't it. mean it's right, but that's how I say it. <laughs> well, I know with ancient terms, there's a lot of different ways to actually say the word. Right. Right. So there's usually the English pronunciation, and then there's the actual Greek or ancient language. <laughs> and people say, "Well, that's not how I said it." <laughs> right. <laughs> we're not speaking the original <laughs> languages here, unfortunately. Uh, then remember from Thessalonica, he goes into Berea. And yes. as we shared, the Thessalonians keep getting upset, you know, following him. Follow him wherever <laughs> he goes. He goes into Berea. From there, he travels down into Corinth. Yeah, Athens first. I'm sorry, Athens, Athens first. And then into Corinth. And then into Corinth. So I, I think at this point we should just give some some background on Corinth. Corinth is a very interesting place. There's to a lot the to talk about. There's a lot. We could spend multiple episodes probably just talking about Corinth itself. But just to give a little bit of, of background, Corinth was the the capital of Achaia, mm-hmm. which was a, a province in the Roman Empire, and that province encompassed most of what we would call Greece today, modern day Greece, and it, it was about halfway between like Athens and, and Sparta. Mm-hmm. So if you think of Sparta was in, in more of the, the southern part of, of Greece, kind of in the mainland. And then to the, to the north, there's this very narrow land bridge. Mm-hmm. That's where Corinth is. It's mm-hmm. a very narrow strip of land. It's only about three or four miles wide is, is my understanding. Right. And there's actually a seaport on, on both sides. Mm-hmm. So there's access to the water on, on both the east and the west. So this is a, a very important location. It is. And, and what makes it even more important is sailing around the southern tip of Greece – 
was considered extremely dangerous. Right. You were out in the open seas and there was no guarantee you were going to make it if you went that route. So what they would actually do a lot of times is they would actually at Corinth or in this region, there was this paved road and they would actually drag ships and cargo across the land Mm -hmm. from one side to the other because it was safer to do that, even though it was a lot more effort, I'm sure it was a pain, it was a lot safer to do that rather than sailing around the southern tip of of Greece. Yeah, I know that um, Strabo, he was a historian in the first century, he said this talking about if you were to go south of the Peloponnese, Mm -hmm. the waters were so treacherous, this is what he stated, if sailors pass through the southern tip twice, they ought to forget their homes, meaning... You might be lucky to get through one time. Second time. But no. the your luck the second time is not so good. Huh. So it, it must have been pretty pretty yeah, treacherous. Especially in the wintertime. Right. Yeah. So because there, there was so much trade, basically all the trade between Rome, which was obviously the, the capital of, of the Roman Empire, all the trade between Rome and Asia Minor went through this area. Everything. Everything. So this was uh, was a very happening place. It was. It was huge. <laughs> it, it was a wealthy city too, mm-hmm. and so there were a lot of different things going on. There's a lot that we could say here, but one thing that I found interesting is Corinth was actually home to some athletic games mm-hmm. that were really second only to the Olympics, yeah. which were held in Olympus. Obviously, most people are familiar with the Olympics. But not a lot of people know that there were also these games held in, in Corinth. So once again, it was, it was a very, very happening place. Now, you know how for the, the Olympics, what we say every four years? Yep. Well, in, uh, for these games, it was every other year. Oh, okay. And uh, I know what, when they talk about every other year, when these um, athletes would actually perform at the games there, mm-hmm. they had to take an oath. And the oath was that they would abide by the rules, and if they did not, they would be disqualified. And so sometimes when you see Paul's writing, even um, to the church of Corinth, yeah. he's using these as illustrations to speak of spiritual principles. Hmm. Yeah, so that gives a little more background. That's why he's using that language. Sure, yeah. Hmm. And one thing I also found, too, is Corinth was actually home to an outdoor theater that could hold up to 20,000 people. That's a is lot that, of people. That something? Yeah. And there was actually also a theater there with a, a roof, so a, a covered theater that could hold up to 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. And so some other things archaeologists have identified in Corinth are there were some shops there. Uh, there was a gymnasium. They've identified some, some baths, some latrines, so fairly common things. A few large houses have also been excavated in Corinth as well. And then one interesting thing, in the, in the middle of kind of the, the main city forum, there was this raised platform where officials could address the people. And they call that the bema, right. which you might recognize from, for example, the bema seat judgment that we talk about in the in the end times. This was called the bema, and what's cool is, for one, it's it's still there to this day. You can actually look this up if you get on Google and search the bema of Corinth. Yeah, you, you see pictures. You can of it. see it, and they think so. If you read Acts eighteen, when Paul is in Corinth, Paul was dragged before Gallio. Mm-hmm. They think this is where that happened. So you can actually look this up. Uh, the interesting thing, too, is there, I mean, it's a big, like a platform that mm-hmm. uh, the proconsul would be at, but they would do two things there. One thing is they would commend people. So if you did something great in the city, they would actually bring you there and you would be honored. Oh, yeah. But also, it would be a place of condemnation mm-hmm. where if you did something 
wrong, you'd stand before the judge, and then they would actually strip a person. And, and you'll there's not too far from there a place where they would actually tie your hands and they would whip you publicly. Oh wow. Hmm. So, but it does help you understand the, um, when Paul is again talking about the bema seat judgment of yep. Christ that we'll stand before him someday and give an account for our lives. That was language that his audience would have understood. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. And now, I know you're talking about this, but um, in Acts 18, it talks about, and, and the verse is this while Gallio was proconsul at Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to a place of judgment. What's is fascinating is um, to be a proconsul, which Gallio was, mm-hmm. they would serve just one year. Mm-hmm. And they would start in July and they would end in June of the following year. Now, they actually filed, it's called a Gallio inscription. It was excavated, and it, and it shares that Gallio was the proconsul in Corinth in 51 AD. Really? So they absolutely know that Paul stood before Gallio in 51, 51 AD. AD. So therefore, they know he was in Corinth in mm-hmm. 51 AD. It's a very tight window to date it to. Hmm. And so if he was there in 51 AD, well, just think, where was he in Thessalonica? When was the second missionary journey? So this is how they start putting dates together. Hmm. It is interesting how... Archaeology is always just catching up to what scriptures always been saying for, for thousands of years. I think one other thing we should mention here is, is that Corinth was filled with idolatry. There were numerous temples. So there was uh, a temple for Apollo from, from Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. There were shrines. There were altars. So idolatry was very rampant. There was also the, the sanctuary of Asclepios, who was the, the god of medicine or mm-hmm. healing. Uh, so people would actually come there to offer sacrifices and to seek healing from their, their sicknesses and, and illnesses. And one thing that they found um, through uh, ex- excavating and archaeology is there used to, there were shops not too far from this temple mm-hmm. for healing. Mm-hmm. And it also, not only just for healing, this is where a place where we would say it's a hospital. Right. And so they would go to shops and they would buy or they'd purchase like these clay um, pieces of body parts, clay replicas. Huh. So it could be arms, it could yeah. be feet, it, it could be sexual organs, it could be mm-hmm. all kinds of different things. And they would they would buy these at the shops, they would take them into the temple, and there they would offer up that piece to their God saying, this is what's ailing me. And then hmm. they would actually take it home as a reminder to the God praying for healing. Hmm. Some people think that's where Paul, when, he, when he's talking in the book of um, Corinthians, where he's saying we are one body but of many parts right. he's actually using that as his illustration hmm. that's that's interesting that's really cool did you also want to talk about there's this hill outside of corinth called the acro corinth did you want to oh, mention yeah. something there as well well any city that was important for defense mm-hmm. and so if you were to go to corinth there is the lower part of corinth where most people would live mm-hmm. but then there was this place called the acro corinth it actually meant upper city mm-hmm. and some people had actually lived there but this was a high place it was like a rocky hill place sometimes when i think of the acropolis and, and athens right. it, it's that type of feel it's like a fortress it's like a fortress yeah. and so what would happen is if the city was ever under siege they could actually go up there and we all know the high ground is going to win the day yeah now what they found is that there's actually a place that they tunneled where it's about three miles long that they actually can get some people out of, if there was a siege out of there to get supplies. And also they found on top of the um, Acro Corinth, there's a good water supply. Hmm. 
Interesting. That was their, their safe place. It was their safe place. Now, what they also did is there was a lot of temples yeah. in you know Corinth. Yep. So sometimes when you would go up to the Acre Corinth, there were many different temples that you would pass by. Hmm. And, and one of those temples was a temple to Aphrodite. Oh, that was the most famous. Yeah. So it was known for actually having over a thousand cult prostitutes. So prostitution was very common in Corinth. And and actually, I read that to call a woman a Corinthian lass or a Corinthian girl mm-hmm. was actually a pretty derogatory term. It was a, it was an attack on her character. It was. Because Corinth had such a bad reputation as a, a city of, of prostitution and sexual immorality. Well, just think about how they made it, too. To worship Aphrodite, to worship her, mm-hmm. means you were to go into sexual relationships yes. with what we would say a prostitute. Yep. There are male prostitutes and female prostitutes. And what a lot of people think, scholars think, is that these prostitutes during the day would be in the temple, but then at night when there were people who could not make the journey up would actually go into town to mm. offer their services. Wow. Hmm. So uh, with all of this being said, a lot of scholars refer to Corinth sort of as like the Las Vegas of the ancient world, if you want to use kind of a, a modern exactly. comparison. So there was a lot going on in Corinth. There was some entertainment going on. Um, impressive public speakers. There's a lot of uh, status and, and greed and sexual immorality, idolatry. All of this is going on. Remember, Luke, what happens in Corinth stays <laughs> yeah, in Corinth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing I found interesting too: the the south side of the the marketplace, kind of the the main part of of town, was lined with these taverns. They've, the archaeologists have discovered this, and some of these taverns actually had these underground cisterns so they could keep their drinks cold. Hmm. How important that is, huh? Yeah, that's, <laughs> but again, the ancient technology, sometimes we, we don't give it enough credit. One thing the city was known for, and it was a wealthy city because of all the trade. Imagine if you were going from north to south, from mainland um, to, the, to the Peloponnese, mm-hmm. you had to go through Corinth. But also ships from east to west or west to east. So if you're going from Italy or Rome, trying to get into Asia Minor, you would travel this in that direction. You always go through Corinth. Just think of not only about the, the money that they made, and, and there's a lot of wealthy people there. Yeah. But what they found is in the city of Corinth, there's a lot of wealthy people and there's a lot of poor people too. Mm-hmm. And so even the church is going to struggle over this because yes. you have a wide range of financial incomes. Yes. And, and my understanding is, so that, that divide was present throughout the Roman Empire, but my understanding is that that divide was even worse yes. in Corinth. It, it was especially pronounced mm-hmm. in Corinth because of how wealthy the, the wealthy people were. You know, Luke, I was thinking about something real quick while mm-hmm. you were talking. Everybody knew in, the, in Rome, or the, the entire Roman area, that yeah. Corinth was a pretty vile place, yes. a very sexual place. Mm-hmm. But it talks about in the book where this, there's this man, so Paul's writing, that is actually sleeping with his stepmom. And it mm. says this, that even the pagans know this is wrong. Yes. So I was thinking, as bad as Corinth is, there's <laughs> things going on in the church are saying not even they would do even this. Even the pagans know better <laughs> than that, huh? Well, just as a mention, I just think it's a practical um, thought. And I don't know where you're at. I'm going to be talking about this. But Mary, you're talking about the Isthmus Games. Yes. Now, there would be a lot of people who would come to the games. Mm. But they didn't have lodging for everybody. So you know where they lived in? Tents. Oh. And, and if Paul you remember, a, Paul was a tent maker. Yeah. So he was actually making and repairing tents for athletes, for people coming in, for fans, for you know hmm. parents, 
This is what he did. So <laughs> you could see where tent making was very valuable in that area. It was in demand. It was in demand. Hmm, interesting. Well, one thing we're going to get into here is that we're going to see the the church in Corinth, as, as you've already mentioned, they they struggled a lot. A lot. But based on this context that we've set here with Corinth being sort of the, the Las Vegas of the ancient world, you can see how they would struggle. There was a lot of temptations going on in this city. There's a lot of confusion going on. Yes, and th- th- this was a tough place to be if you're a church. It's a port city too. So you've got people from all types of religions, all types of thought, it's, and it's a huge city. Yeah, and you're surrounded by sin. And and one thing I found is that, so Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians around 55 AD, mm-hmm. roughly. About 50 years later, Clement of Rome, who was a leader in the church in Rome, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians as well. And listen to what he said, he said this, It is a shameful report, beloved, talking to the Corinthians, extremely shameful and unworthy of your training in Christ, that on account of one or two persons, the steadfast and ancient church of the Corinthians is being disloyal to the elders. Hmm. So even 50 years later, they're still having struggles. They're still having issues. (laughs) Same old, same old. Right. And so one thing that I thought of here is sometimes – we have a tendency to maybe elevate the first century church. And I do think there are things we can learn from the early sure. church. But the early church had its own problems as well. And and this is evidence of that. Sometimes we've heard as pastors people say, well, we wish we were like the first century church. And I was thinking, uh, I don't know, have you read your Bible? I've read something <laughs> about some of these churches. Maybe not Corinth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add about background just on Corinth in general, Pastor Ryan? No, but just like you say, though, there was a lot going on in this city. Yeah. And you can understand some of the struggles that the, the Christian church was going through. Exactly. Well, now to talk just a little bit about when Paul was actually in Corinth. You can read about this in Acts chapter 18. We know Paul was there for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I found interesting, if you read Acts 18 and verse 9, God says to Paul, Don't be afraid. But keep on speaking and don't be silent. Hmm. I thought that was interesting because if God is saying don't be afraid, that must mean Paul was afraid. Yes. He was struggling a little bit. And this is why you'll hear sometimes scholars put together the idea when he was in Athens, it seemed to throw him a little bit because by the time he gets into Corinth, he's struggling. Mm -hmm. And again, this was a dark place. This was a difficult place to be. How would you like to go into a place like that? Right. And we're going to send you into downtown Las Vegas to, to plan a church. There you go. Yeah, that's that's going to be tough. Now, Paul also meets Aquila and Priscilla yeah. in, in Corinth. They were also tent makers, which you just mm-hmm. talked about. And they end up becoming kind of co-workers of, of Paul. Uh, now, they were originally from Rome, but they were kicked out of Rome by Claudius, the emperor. Right. And we know from history that Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome in 49 AD. So that matches right up with your timeline that See, you it all were. fits together. And to put a little piece together, do you, know, do you remember who mentored, um, um, who Priscilla and Aquila mentored? It was Apollos. Oh, yeah. And so when you read in Corinth, or, or, or Corinthians, yep. about Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila very much mentored and discipled him. Mm. So Paul, while he's in Corinth, he, he makes some disciples. He establishes the church there. He ends up leaving. Then a little bit later, he goes on his third missionary journey, mm-hmm. and he, he comes to Ephesus, and he spends three years in Ephesus. This is his longest stay that I'm aware of in one particular city. And it's while he's in Ephesus that he actually writes 1 Corinthians. Right. Right. So there's a difference. Sometimes people get confused. There was a time when Paul was actually in Corinth, 
But that doesn't mean that's when he wrote the letter. Exactly. The reason he's writing letters is because he's no longer there with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just to just to clarify. So he's in Corinth and he's writing First and Second Thessalonians. Correct. Third yeah. missionary <laughs> journey. He's in Ephesus. Right. Yeah. It gets a little bit confusing, but just wanted to clarify that. And actually, we know from First Corinthians five that Paul wrote an earlier letter to the Corinthians that we don't have preserved. Mm-hmm. It's no longer preserved for us. So what we know is First Corinthians is actually Paul's second letter right. to the Corinthians. And as far as why he wrote this letter, there's really there's really a couple of reasons. One, we know from the letter itself that Paul gets this report from members of Chloe's household, which we don't know much about them, but we know they gave Paul some kind of report about what's going on in Corinth. Mm-hmm. And then also, based on 1 Corinthians 16, 16 it seems like there was this delegation almost of these three men who come from the church in Corinth, seek Paul out in Ephesus, and they bring a letter or a list of of questions and issues to Paul. And it makes you wonder how bad were things if they had to send three guys and say, hey, go find Paul. (laughs) Do you know how much money that would cost just to have them travel there? I mean, traveling from from Corinth to Ephesus, it's not like modern times. You You can't just hop on a plane. Or get in a car. I mean, it, this was not easy travel. And these cities are not right next to each other. <laughs> We've been in the church world long enough. I could just imagine saying, Chloe, you tattletale. Why'd you bring that up? <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't talk to Paul about that. Yeah. So Paul catches wind that the Corinthians are struggling. And and this is why he, he writes the letter. Really struggling. Yeah. So just to give real quick, we only have a couple minutes left here. But real quick, just to give kind of a, a, a very basic overview structure of what Paul's going to talk about in this letter. The overall message, basically, he's he's calling the Corinthians to grow in, in unity. We're going to see there's a lot of division a in lot, the church yeah. and to grow in purity mm-hmm. as well. So th- there's kind of, th- there's different ways you could break this down, but I, I broke it down into kind of five main sections addressing five main issues mm-hmm. within the church. So chapters one through four, you're going to see talks a lot about division mm-hmm. in the church. Chapters five through seven, he's going to get into marriage and, and sex. And remember the context here. He's in a city that's just filled with sexual immorality, mm-hmm. so this is an important topic. Chapters eight through ten, he's going to talk about um, food and, and food offered to, to idols and, and all of those things. We'll, we'll get into all of these more in, in future episodes. Sure. Chapters 11 through 14, he talks a lot about the, the church gathering. It seems like they were having issues with that even. It was chaotic and disorganized. And so, again, we'll, we'll get more into that. And then chapter 15 is a very important chapter. He mm-hmm. talks about the resurrection. And then chapter 16 is really just kind of his final greeting. So that, that's just a very quick breakdown. We'll get more into that into, in the future episodes here. Yes. Any last comments that you would like to make here as we wrap up, Pastor Ryan? No, just that uh, actually 1 Corinthians is really one of the longest letters it that is, he's yeah. ever written. And just as a wrap-up or close to it is that 18 months he stayed there, that was actually a long time mm-hmm. for him. Because the thing about from Thessalonica, Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea, he was on a run quite a bit. Yeah, Thessalonica might have only been a few weeks or a couple of months at, at most. At most. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, so 18 months was a long time. And like you said, this is one of his longest letters, but he needed even a second one <laughs> after this. He needed Second Corinthians too, because there were so many issues going on in, I, in the church in Corinth. I love Second Corinthians. It's one of my favorite ones because it's so personal. You can yeah. just tell 
you have to read between the lines because he's answering right. problems. So right. when you're answering it, you then look at it and say, what is the questions being asked? You got to fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks. But you can, you can really see his heart for people. Paul has such a heart for people. He does. And you see that throughout his letters. Well, we'll get more into that in the future episodes. We've got a lot, a lot to talk about in the weeks ahead. That's all for now. Remember to keep listening and remember why we're doing this in the first place. We want to help you get into the word until it gets into you. And we want to equip you so that you can go out and you can be a world changer.